the history of personal computing. History, history, history. History of Personal Computing. Hi, everyone. We are back. Thank you for your patience during our one-week delay. And welcome to the next installment of the History of Personal Computing podcast. This is show 10, and we're now moving past the holy trinity of personal computers, as well as past the year 1977. I'm David Grealish, and I'll be your host today, as appropriate and decent, I must say. I'm joined today by my co-host, Jeff Salzman. Hi, Jeff. Hey, David, how's it going? Good. How's it going with you? Oh, this one-week vacation was actually great. Yeah? What'd you do? Uh, <laughs> well, relax, get some to, sun. Allow me to uh, do some stuff with my retro challenge. Oh, yeah. Uh, you right. relax in the sun. Yeah, with the snow we got today. <laughs> I was out there in the sun warming it up, or at least pretending I was. Yeah, retro challenge coming to an end for me. Um, I had some fun with it. I didn't put a whole lot of effort in, but I got done what I wanted to get done. Uh, made a couple videos of me playing Elite on the Commodore 64. I yeah. remembered how to do the stuff, and I started getting better at it. And I just have one more thing, one more video I want to record before, I guess, what, uh, the end of the month, which is uh, tomorrow. I mean, I'm sorry. Yeah, Saturday. tomorrow. As, oh, yeah. is it? 30 days has tomorrow to be Tomorrow as, as a release of this podcast. <laughs> yeah, no, Saturday it, is yeah. the end. Right, right, right. January. So. Uh, oh, cool. Hopefully I'll have something out there and... If anybody was following along with my retro challenge stuff, you know, thank you for watching. It's just a little something, but yeah, it it at least hey, I was able was worth to do doing. something. Yep. What's new with you, by the way? Well, you remember I had mentioned I'd gotten a K Pro. Yes. Um, now I'm jealous. So I had posted in the vintage computers forum, like anyone help me out with some software, and nobody did. And then I remembered, you know, maybe I'll email my old buddy Earl Evans from RetroBits, and he's coming through for me. I don't have it yet, but he's gotten together some boot disk, and he's looking for, like, BASIC and some other stuff. So so that's very nice. So when I get that, oh, I'm going to boot the K-Pro up. Huh? Bet you can't wait. Yeah, it'd be fun to mess around with. And um, and then I uh, on local Craigslist here, there's somebody in uh, Athens, Georgia, which is where the University of Georgia is, and I don't know if I've looked it up. I think I'm thinking it's about an hour and a half away, maybe two at the most from here. I don't think it's quite two, but um, so anyway, I'm going to go not well this upcoming Saturday, but next one I'm going to take the family and drive out to Athens and check it out. Never been and get a Mac Plus system, you know, which will be fun. Mac, Mac Plus that is newer than the original Macintosh. Yeah, two two newer. So you had the original okay. Mac, then the five twelve, and then the Mac Plus. Okay. And this has got the hard drive that uh, is a perfect footprint underneath it. it. And it had a SCSI port. That was a big, um, you know, new feature of the Mac Plus. So it, that was the first one with an external SCSI port. Yeah. The Mac Plus was really, in my opinion, the sort of um, the original Macintosh perfected finally. It had a, oh, it had they finally a, got it right. Well, it had a, yeah, it had a megabyte of RAM. It had the um, 800K double-sided floppy. It had a SCSI port you know, for expansion. And, and that made a big difference right there. It's kind of like what the original Mac should have been. So it was like, it came out two years after the original. Megabyte of RAM. So you could actually type up more than one page. <laughs> right. And, you know, Athens, Georgia is a, is a college town. It's supposed to be a nice little town. And, uh, you know, so I thought take the family, we could eat lunch there and check it out and maybe, maybe look for flea markets or uh, thrift stores or something. Um, what was I going to say? Oh, also, you know, two famous bands came out of there. I think more than that, but the ones I'm thinking of is REM and the B-52s. Oh, I didn't know they came from there. Yeah, they all originated. Really? B-52s came from there. Yeah. So so there you go. So that'll be a fun thing to do. Go pick up. I was thinking you'd say something like Georgia Satellites. <laughs> yeah. I guess they're from Georgia. <laughs> <laughs> you would think. <laughs> so they now it's on with the show. The History of Personal Computing Podcast is your bi-weekly stroll through the development of the most significant tool ever invented, the personal computer. But just what is a personal computer these days? That's a good question since it continues to evolve. So we're looking back at that evolution, one computer at a time. We wanted to create a unique new podcast about old computers and their history. So our stroll in the virtual computing, personal computing museum is through audio. And we post all of our writing and notes on our website. 
We generally discuss the machines in a date order within tiers. Tiers are in reference to the tiers of personal computing, which continue to evolve. In the past, they developed as the desktop, laptop, and smartphone. Though now they're best described as the laptop, tablet, and smartphone. Yeah, and I guess uh, maybe that'll even change, or it's changing, right, with the uh, smart watches and you know the Apple Watch coming out here. And in you'll a hear it here and... first. <laughs> yeah. So what's uh, oh, you know, just real quick, I read, and I didn't read it in detail, but have you read about, like, I guess, Google canceled Google Glass? Had you heard about Did that? They, yeah. I, I heard that, but I thought they were, like, going to take it back to the drawing board or come out with something new or did they just cancel cancel saying well well like i said i didn't really read (laughs) so i guess we might want to follow up on that next time or maybe i heard rumors i probably saw just as much of it as you did it was canceled i kind of set it to the side that the knowledge of that to the side because Mm -hmm. i really wasn't into the glass i'd love to have one but it was out of my price range so it's out of mind right (laughs) i wasn't all that interested either and um i kind of didn't like the idea or lots or parts of the idea though you know hey maybe there's some parts of that or that are the future of personal computing right well they have google goggles <laughs> not google what is it it's not google goggles that's Beer not, goggles no it's uh <laughs> what is it google it make you, you make a 3d headset out of cardboard. oh yeah google, yeah google, google 3d cardboard. 3d vision yeah. or something right yeah was it was a google cardboard or something like that something like that i think it was something simple <laughs> maybe that's their latest glass glass 2.0 made out of a pizza box so today on our show, we're going to be covering, covering two international systems, including our first Japanese computer, the Sharp MZ80K from 1978. We're also going to talk about the Sinclair ZX80, or what is known as ZX80, released in 1980. And we're actually skipping another significant computer system that was re- released before the ZX80, but we're going to cover that on our next show, and we're dedicating the entire next show to uh, to that American computer series, which was released in 1979, the Atari 400 and 800, which yeah, they came out at the same time. And that's going to be a big show, right, Jeff? Oh, absolutely. Four hours and 37 minutes. <laughs> but you're a big fan of those two we were just talking about before the yes, show. Yes, I haven't used them much, but I certainly appreciate what they are. Yeah. Um, yeah, me too. And though I, I didn't own one, you know, originally or so... I can't speak firsthand as much about it, but it should be a fun show. A major, major, adding to the major platforms, I guess, if you will, we've covered already like Commodore and then obviously Apple. Yeah, getting more into consumer space here. Yeah. Yeah, it's all about consumers now. Our consumers, consumer computers. So we're going to start off with uh, a machine by Sharp called the MZ80K, and it debuted in Japan in 1978 and then later in 1979 in Europe. The uh, Sharp MZ series of computers, uh, so actually there was like the MZ80 series and then it went into MZ, you know, other series of computers, were some of the most popular personal computers in those regions, being Europe and and greater Asia. The series continued well into the mid-1980s and its name stood for uh, M meant microcomputer and then Z-80, of course, for the microprocessor that it uses. Um, from the first model to the MZ2200 released in 1983, all of the MZ series included the CPU, monitor, keyboard, and tape recorder in a single unit similar to the early Commodore PET. And they kind of had a chiclet keyboard on some of them too, right? Yeah. And uh, very interesting computers. I I certainly have heard of these before, and I've, I've seen pictures of them before. I am not was not that familiar with them. Were you? No, and unfortunately, they're a bit out of reach for us uh, on, yeah. on, in the Western Hemisphere. Why? Well, and of course, because we're very U.S. centric, you know, we didn't really see those here in the U.S. <laughs> yes, the world revolves around us. But, and if we didn't like the looks of it, we have the pet. Who needs the uh, MZ80? But it's, it was an interesting, it's an interesting computer to look at. Uh, so to tell you a little bit more about it, um, the system was definitely designed and was very utilitarian, but they were very well built and they were reliable. They uh, shipped with 48, and this is, of course, talking about the very first one. It shipped with 48 kilobytes of RAM with 32 of that available for use depending on the memory configuration the system language is being used. Um, It could run a variety of high-level languages, including BASIC, Pascal, and Fortran, which you had to load into RAM first because they were not included in ROM, which was the case in a lot of other computers. Usually, you might have had BASIC already in ROM, like, and that's that 16k break between the available RAM and, and which is quite and, a, quite a big area there. 
Well, that's I a lot of RAM a... to start in the first place, actually. Yeah. Um, the early models had no color and no high resolution, yet they were equipped with a real clock and built-in speakers, or speaker, rather. Gee, it sounds so pettish, doesn't it? Yeah. I mean, it just had it had what you needed to get started. And they they sold very well and very popular in, uh, again, both Japan and greater Asia and uh, Europe. And so to talk a little bit more about um, the company, of course, I think most people probably have heard of Sharp, and there's, there's still Sharp products today. But believe it or not, the company was founded in September 1912, and it took its name from one of its founders' first inventions, the EverSharp Mechanical Pencil. Yeah, it's like a printer. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's kind of, it made me think of like Lego, which uh, started off making, I think, wooden toys. I believe, if I'm not mistaken, for obviously yeah, yeah. their plastic well, bricks. Nintendo play, made playing oh. cards. Yeah, right, right. Playing cards, right? And Coleco was a leather company. Yeah, and Radio Shack. Or and, that's right, they were too. <laughs> <laughs> um, so again, Sharp is, of course, still around, and they produce many different types of electronic products, and you probably own some. That's everyone listening, and maybe you, Jeff, and, and myself. Actually, I don't know if we own any Sharp products I can think of, but... They, uh, you can find them. Make, they make displays. You'll see in the electronics uh, departments, projectors, photocopiers, and like uh, corporate environments, laser printers. They make the uh, the popular aqua aquos. Is that how you say that? Televisions. Yeah, that that's the one I was trying to think of the name. And I think I... they're they're highly regarded. They're not the top of the line type of sets, but they're definitely sort of the mid grade. They're not cheap, you know, cheap television sets or whatever. Right? When you agree, they're sort of the mid grade. Yeah, you you'll get your you get your value, but you're not getting a, a cheap set. They've uh, they've made mobile phones, uh, microwave ovens, uh, home cinema and audio systems, air purification systems, calculators, electronic cash registers. You see that a lot, you know, mm-hmm. and point of sale, you know, all kinds of point of sale technologies, plus a lot of other things. Plus, I think I have a Sharp, or they made them uh, the little pocket computers, but that comes to. That comes a little later in this series. And I'm trying to advance here. What's wrong with the... I noticed this comma was missing, and then now calculators. It's not putting a comma proper. There it goes. Okay, for our show notes. <laughs> All right. So a little bit light on the content about this particular computer this time around, but as far as talking about the legacy of the machine, I found a great website which gives an overview. Lots of other history, too, but it's called. An, it has an overview of the Sharp MZ series, and... Uh, it's got a nice pictorial that you can look at of the different appearances. It does look pretty nice. And, you know, you look at these, um, and we'll put the link in the show notes. You look at these, and you can see lots of other brand computers in in, in the look of them. Mm-hmm. Um, well, what's, what's interesting to me, too, is their machines, the sort of uh, style of them, like we're getting into a slightly later MZ80C and ADB from AD81. The lines and the plastic and everything – it's, it sort of looks to me like a you know a cross between stereo equipment and calculator yeah but type, type of look of the material you know that versus what you tend to think of as computer I like those built-in displays they're very sharp looking <laughs> so you know the series continued well until the late 80s and then um, I didn't go go more into like the, you know what, what happened with um, Sharp's computers, but from what I, I researched, apparently they continued to make computers well into the early 90s, but mostly just sold, selling in just Japan. So after the PC came out. And as far as I can tell, maybe someone can correct me, it looks like around 93, 94, they basically sort of stopped. Or they I were see. making more of like a game system and TVs with like their game systems slash internet or computer devices or something. Yeah, I think the market was trying that stuff and it didn't take off. Yeah, well, of course, lots of competition rose up. It's it, it kept rising up as we marched through time here and dilute the uh, dilute the market for you know the the corporations that have the money to put into it, but get basically backhanded by some of these smaller companies that ruin the market. Mm-hmm. And so that overview with the pictorial is um, on a website called sharpmz.org, and so also there, there's information about an emulator. Called the M- so it emulates the MZ700, which is a, a later one in the series. And now I'm off the other page. I think it's I think it's around 81, 82. The maybe. one with the built-in plotter. Is that what it was? 
I believe so. The emulator also emulates the plotter. Okay. So, um, so there you go. And it runs, it'll run on DOSBox, under Linux, and all Windows. So go there and find out more. Yeah, if you're I'm interested. Check this one out a little bit more myself. Um, I like these standalone emulators. Mm -hmm. It's so easy to, you know, instead of trying to install a whole thing like MAME, although this may run in, this may have a, a an emulator in MAME. I haven't particularly checked out MAME and, and the Sharp, but these, the standalone one looks really nice. It looks like it covers a lot of the, um, well, the, the actual front end use has built in, I guess there's built in monitor, like uh, machine language monitors and emulates the printer. Yeah, I think that I think plotter. the the color plotter emulator in this is is pretty unique. That's pretty neat. That really makes this sort of stand apart from a lot yeah, of as other... opposed to a printer emulator. This plotter emulator is pretty nice, and I wonder if it uh, plots at real time original speed, or if it just you know snap puts puts the effect. Oh, it disappears. Out. Yeah, cool I... you can watch it draw like the real plotter did. And I don't want to insult anyone's intelligence in our audience, but if you're not exactly sure what a plotter was, it was a pretty neat device, which I've seen them operate, you know, over the years where, and I guess there's different variations of them, but um, so mostly they're basically like a mechanical X, Y, uh, like a colored pen thing. <laughs> yeah. Four, four pens. If it's similar to the other ones that like Radio Shack sold, um, like it grabs and, a pen and it goes back and forth and, and moves vertically and horizontally. For, I believe I have one for the Atari. Um, it's a like a printer plotter and it prints on like fine fine grade toilet paper. Well, and I remember um, the first job I ever had in a uh, computer store. It was in 1986, and uh, and I'll never forget seeing the big HP plotter on the floor. Which I don't oh, know yeah. how much that cost, but it was high end. And that thing, you know, even then was pretty amazing because it would use that big piece of paper and it would like suck it back and forth, woo, woo, you know, and, and the pins are going crazy and it's just like, whoa. Yep. And you have the multiple pins for that. Yeah. Right. I believe it's arm. It may have like banked the pins and it would grab them and swap them out or, or the yep. head itself could swap the pins. Yeah, It, it would grab around. Yeah. I think back then it would grab the different pins. And later on, I think they made them right where the, like all the pins are right there. Pins as in, you know, colored pins or whatever. Uh, markers. How about that? That'd be better. Yep closest thing i have to one of those now is i have a, a wide carriage vinyl cutter and it has a pen attachment mm. so if i wanted to put in a roll of paper instead of roll of vinyl it will draw with the pen but yeah. it's only a single color it won't do multiple colors and stuff but you know i've plotted outlines for some designs before just to have a real real scale of something yeah basically uh, the these, these machine those plotting machines for the most part they're still being used and like you say vinyl cutting um, companies and stuff. And now they're using like inkjet technology versus having to use pins. Yes. But um, it's sort of the same thing. I, you know, I, up until this last year, my current place where I worked, I worked for ad agencies and we, we also had these big plotters that basically did the same thing that one did back in the eighties, but a little more sophisticated. Yeah. For the one in this uh, sharp, it, it just has <laughs> yeah. those pins and it will, it will click and move to the color it needs. And then it'll like, yeah. Press in against the paper, and, and as the paper rolled forward and backward, and the and the and the pen went side to side, the pen carriage went side to side. It, it drew the circles and all the other shapes, but it plotted it. It was sort of an X Y thing, as you said. It's funny how the little the little demo here, it, it it's not perfect, so it almost really looks like it was drawn by a little rickety little plotter with a with pins in it. Yeah, ink over ink. All right, so Jeff, you take it away, and for our, our next machine, this Sinclair ZX80. Yes, and for that, you have to ask the question, what happens when you strip most of the metal from those earlier homebrew computers, toss in a third-party Z80 clone CPU, and have what's left expertly bound together by a disciple of miniaturization? <laughs> you get the compact ZX80 personal computer. And you know, it's our show. It's ZX80. Really compact, too. Yes. Yes. Thin, too. It's like the... Anyway, the uh, Sinclair ZX80 was released in 1980, and it was arguably the first British personal computer, though the company had previously released the MK14 in 1977. We don't hear much of that these days. Mm -mm. And Acorn had released a similar product, the System 1, in 1979. However, both of those were simply single-board computers, and the Z80 was complete in a case. 
It was named after its CPU, along with an X for the mystery ingredients. <laughs> That's funny. Um, Clive Sinclair, now Sir Clive Sinclair, willed it into existence at the Science of Cambridge. Uh, his company later became known as Sinclair Research. It was targeted to individual, ordinary users, and it was the first British micro to go on sale for under 100 pounds, which is, what, about mm -hmm. $200 U.S. at the time. It was available in kit form for 79, how do they read that? 79 pounds, 95? Uh, yeah, I think so. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Um, and as a ready-built version for 99 pounds, 95. Um, some 50,000 would be sold before the ZX80 was discontinued in 1981. So it didn't live very long. No, just like a year. It, yeah. It, but it was still impressive. Well, this, and yes and no about how long it lived, because obviously technically it really did live longer, but... You know, yeah, it the morphed, moniker changed right? and it was slightly changed. Well, the the fact that it was discontinued in 80, 1981 was significant. Uh, and the lead, the UK lead in the world in personal computer ownership throughout the 1980s, um, it, it, it was succeeded by the barely different ZX81. <laughs> Change that number. Uh, it, and in 1981 is when the ZX81 came out, which was also sold in the U.S. as the Timex Sinclair 1000. So we had different naming, same computer, mm -hmm. ZX81 in in pretty much everywhere else in the world, and Timex Sinclair uh, 1000 in the U.S. Which I think that you you could buy ZX81s in the U.S., but just not. It was definitely not as prominent. Until the Timex Sinclair 1000. Yeah, the out. Timex Sinclair had, I think, 2K of RAM to start, whereas yeah. ZX81 had 1K mm -hmm. RAM. That's what I mean. The ZX81 was really just a ZX80 in a newer, different case. And it and, was part reduced. And something, yeah. Down to, you know, the, well, the, the ZX80 had like 24 some odd uh, chips in it, and mm -hmm. the ZX81 was four chips, so they really worked it down. Oh, wow. Um, but anyway, the uh, ZX series of computers went on to sell over 1.5 million units by 1984. Yeah, wow. All the different variations and dress styles and, and even color versions before being completely discontinued. Um, a large cottage industry of programs, magazines, and products rose around it. And yes, there is quite a bit of um, documentation you know, from the period. Uh, in mm -hmm. fact, just the collector is still going strong today. Uh, this commercial success made Sinclair Research one of Britain's leading computer manufacturers and earned a fortune and the eventual knighthood for the company's founder. So he did something good for uh, England and England, uh, the monarchy. <laughs> did something good for him. Yeah, <laughs> did something good for him. Uh, system specs, and part of this is really what I find impressive for its size and its, uh, and its price range. 3.2 megahertz. Um, Z80 compatible CPU, which was actually made by NEC. It was the D780C-1. Hmm. So it's sort of a Z80 clone CPU. Right. You look at the for the kit version of this. If you look at the instructions, that's the chip they give you the the D780C-1. So it's Z Z80 clone. Z80s I think were more expensive than the 6502s at the time, but I guess when you get these clone chips out, that brings the price down in the market. It had 1K of static RAM, 4K of ROM which is not a lot, noting the fact that system functions and the basic interpreter fit into this 4K ROM space. Um, it had a 32 by 24 text display, had a flat membrane, membrane keyboard, which I believe was rather new at the time in the consumer level, and, and it gave it a very unique flat look. And $199 was the U.S. starting price, and it was widely advertised as the first personal computer for under 200 You mentioned that before. Mm -hmm. Well, yeah. it was the first one under 100 pounds in England, and then, of course, it became the cheapest computer in the United States for under 200 Yep. And you started seeing these in, in magazines, like electronics magazines or Byte magazine and other computer magazines at the time. And uh, when I was in high school, I think I was in 10th grade, and somebody in 11th grade in the electronics class, um, he actually bought the kit and put it together in school. It took him a couple days to do it, but it was the most impressive thing. I see. I never had my own computer at the time, uh, but it was the most impressive thing to see this. And I'm thinking that's that's really thin. The keyboard is just it's it's about as thick as a clipboard, you know. And but it has this key this touch keypad yeah. on it, and then the back of the computer was really low profile, kind of space agey looking. It looks like it might have come right out of Buck Rogers TV show at the time. Um, 
uh, I was really impressed. And what was it? it? It did not have a power switch. You just plugged it in to turn it on. You, oh, really? This, the original one? I don't know the original. I think one. the later I, ones did. CX81 did that, yes. Um, I only I only looked at the keyboard and what it was doing on the screen. I really didn't look at the back of it. I didn't have my hands on it longer than to maybe learn how to type 10 print hello. And I know it would flicker. Like it would, uh, as yes. you type stuff, it'd flicker. Yes, but that was interesting about that. Even though the basic was really tiny, it did syntax checking right away because the, the method of entry wasn't freeform. You would type in a line number, and then the keyboard would have certain mappings. Every There would be keywords on top of various letters. And then you would see the cursor change, like between the letter K, the letter L, to tell you which entry mode it's in, and mm -hmm. it would automatically change. So you type in your line number. I think it has a K on the display. That means it's in keyword mode. So the next letter key you press will enter the keyword that's on that key. So the letter P had print, I think R was run, uh, A was list, whatever it is. Um, there was always a, your, your entire uh, keyword set was on the keyboard. And you also had functions that you would shift and on a letter key. But it knew what part of the line entry you were on and it would switch modes. So entering stuff, so you don't have to type out the word print. You don't have to type out the word oh, go. Right. It would just pick it up from typing. So because it entered that way, it also did syntax checking right on the spot, which you really didn't get in some of the other home computers at the time. You would you know, type things in and then you know you run it and there's a bug or a failure or something. Didn't, didn't always get that in the other ones. So for under $200, you had this full syntax checking computer. It wasn't very powerful with its integer basic. It wouldn't do floating point. But I mean, for the cost of entry and what it could do it was actually pretty, pretty good value. You of course, it's kind of funny because the joke is too that, you know, it was the cheapest computer in the world, but yet it became the most expensive doorstop. <laughs> That's right. That's right. We'll get into that in some later episodes when, uh, uh, when something like that had happened. But think about um, what that could do. I mean, even just compared to a computer from a few years earlier, you know, maybe before the Apple II and Commodore PET and all those, TRS-80, but, you know, some of the S100s, just a you, base system. Yeah. You plug this right into your TV. You have a computer that's cheap. It will do stuff. It will compute. Yeah, basic. It'll, take, it'll take basic, uh, it'll take uh, just simple basic programs that you would find in books of the day. And just with a little bit of, mental conversion you can you can type in generic basic programs and this will do it, uh, it and it did it very well um plus it has so, an expansion slot yes you can get 16k ram module for that so 16k on this tiny little computer and you can also get a better basic an 8k basic module which i believe gave you uh, floating point capabilities and a more powerful uh set of language uh, inputs. I've actually never seen the basic module, so I don't know how it dealt with the keyword entry off the keys. Uh, if it gave you a stick on overlay to put on top of the keyboard mm -hmm. to give you that functionality. I've only ever seen, as far as a module, it's always, it seems to me, it's always been a 16K. <laughs> yeah, that, I've that always seen a 16K probably, module just with them. Don't bump it. <laughs> right. Well, you know, because if you're typing in 16K worth of program and you didn't save it and you bump it, um, well, you're typing again. And then, of course, <laughs> you know, you could use generic and standard tape recorders and you could buy lots of programs on tape. Yes, yeah, so it no special cable other than just an end-to-end -end audio cable. And I remember uh, seeing, of course, the little, uh, the little like, printers with the, the silver paper. Yes, it was a, a electrostatic or something like that. Um, yeah. I think Radio Shack had something similar for theirs, a, a screen printer that printed all... Yeah, it's like... It was sort of electrostatic or heat sensitive in a way, and the silver would be the the medium that it prints on, and it just burns it black, you know, kind of like a thermal printer, but it wasn't quite thermal. Yeah. Oh, let's see. Oh, there's so much can be said about this computer, but then you'll never hear about what the company is. So, <laughs> talk a little bit about the company uh, that led up to the, the ZX80. In July 1961, Clive Sinclair founded his first company, Sinclair Radionics Limited in Cambridge. Sinclair Radionics developed hi-fi products, radios, calculators, and scientific instruments. The company struggled during the mid to late 1970s and ultimately failed, even with government investment. In the mid-1970s, 
when it was clear that radiotics was falling or failing, uh, Clive Sinclair prepared so that he could continue to pursue his own commercial goals. I mean, this guy had some good ideas and he <laughs> wanted to stick with it. Um, he had purchased another small company for just such an eventuality, which ultimately became known as Sinclair Instruments Limited in August of 1975. Sinclair encouraged Chris Curry, who had been working for Radionics since 1966, to leave that company and get his new Sinclair instrument set up and operating. They developed the wrist calculator to generate cash, which soon became a commercial success. Oh yeah, at that time that would have been uh, that that would have been definitely cool to have. Yeah. I think uh, it was a kit. Was that a kit? I think so. I could be I wrong. I think it's pictures of it. I didn't go too deep into it, but that would be cool to have. But there's that miniaturization of stuff. And that was that's what Clive Sinclair loved to do. Make mm-hmm. things small and functional. In July 1977, Sinclair Instrument Limited was renamed to Science of Cambridge Limited. And around the same time, Ian Williamson showed Chris Curry a prototype microcomputer based on a National Semiconductor SEMP <laughs> microprocessor and parts taken from a Sinclair calculator. That's one way to get your foot in the door. Um, this was sold as the MK14 computer, which I believe is on that, um, that oh, what page was that? We'll have to get a link for that to show you what the predecessor to the uh, ZX80 was. Oh, yeah. Uh, and the MK14 was a microcomputer kit. Uh, Science of Cambridge ultimately became Sinclair Research Limited <laughs> in 19. 19- yeah. Let's say how many name changes in how many years, like one for each year. Um, the company or companies make for an interesting and complex story. Uh, instead of telling you all about it, there's a great BBC movie about what happened here and what happened after with Clive Sinclair's rivalry against Chris Curry's Acorn Computers makers of the BBC Micro, another popular British computer. Um, this excellent movie can now be viewed on YouTube by people from different nat- nations, and we'll put a link in for that. Yeah, I highly recommend that movie. And, I saw... Uh, and it's where it gets really... It's it's a little difficult to follow some of the stuff about his his first company and then how the government stepped in and then how it was failing. Then he sort of secretly started this other company and then brought Chris Curry over, and then Chris Curry ultimately becomes his rival... He didn't like the, the <laughs> stuff that Clive Sinclair was doing in his direction. Then he he wanted to start his own company, and then but it's real. It's sort of like a the Steve Jobs and Bill Gates, you know, story in Britain. Yeah, they're sort of like the Steve Jobs and Bill Gates a little bit. Yeah, I'm gonna have so to really excellent. I mean, it's a, it's also just a well done movie. Um, the guy that plays Chris Curry is the guy who played um in you know the recent The Hobbit film. Uh, oh, in the office too. If I yeah, recall. he was in the original office. He was. Uh, he's the Doctor Watson in that Sherlock Holmes uh, with Cumberbatch or whatever his name series. Um, but I like him, so well, I can't say enough good things about that movie. It's really good. Yeah, I only ever saw it when it, this link is to a, the full movie. I think when I first saw it, it was in parts, and I couldn't find the other parts, so I only got like the basic introduction. It looked good, but then yeah, for the longest time, you couldn't watch this outside of. Um, you know the UK when it first aired, you had to be in the UK to watch it, and they put it up free on the BBC's website. But you ha- you wouldn't be able to see it outside the UK. That's probably why I only could see it in parts because somebody was probably sneaking in, and the rest got removed or something. Yeah, YouTube. But it's good that it's there now, and I have to put that in my uh, personal list of things to watch. Watch it. Yeah, I will. Well, uh, the ZX80 created a legacy uh, in 1982. The Sinclair ZX Spectrum was released eventually, uh, later becoming Britain's best-selling computer, competing aggressively against the Commodore and Amstrad. Um, the ZX Spectrum was a color version mm-hmm. of the uh, ZX80 and ZX81 series computers. Similar functionality, but with color. Um, Very popular un- and long-lasting. I mean, it really was kind of like the Commodore 64. You know, My uncle had a con- Timex Sinclair 2068, which is on class. Same thing, the yeah. ZX- and that had a built-in cartridge slot, which you can never really find cartridges for. But it was fun to to use that. That was my. He also had a ZX81 before that, so he had he had uh, two um, Sinclair-based systems. Where I was, I was with my Vic 20 at the time. Um, but yeah, they they're they're nice. The Spectrum is powerful. I just don't haven't had my hands on it enough to really yeah. go with it because I'm the Commodore guy. Uh, but anyway. 
Unfortunately, Sinclair had a misstep with its Sinclair QL, or the Quantum Leap computer, which was launched in 1984. Although the computer was hyped as being advanced for its time and relatively cheap, it failed to sell, and production was suspended in 1985. Amstrad acquired Sinclair's computer product lines in April 1986. Yeah, how about that? That quick. It, yeah, it was very fast. So I wonder if uh, Sinclair had another company in the back pocket <laughs> waiting to start again. Well, actually, if you go look him up and like read on Wikipedia about him stuff, he has been doing some things in recent years. Um, What's the rumor? He doesn't use computers today. Oh, really? Is that the rumor about him? He'd rather not be connected to the internet. He'd rather just pick up the phone and talk to somebody. Uh, well, I, I, and I'd have to look, but I'm pretty sure he's in his late 70s. So that yeah. that's, doesn't surprise me. So, but I thought I heard that as a rumor. Well, anyway, um, if you're anxious to try out uh, ZX80 or even ZX81 for yourself, you could probably pick one up for five cents on Craigslist. Well, at least the ZX81, the door stops. Uh, the ZX80s are a little harder to find. Um, w there are some nice emulation uh, pieces out there. One of them in particular can let you get started right away. Just follow the link in the show notes, and it'll take you to a JavaScript-based ZX80 emulator. That yeah, that's nice. In your browser. It's simple. It runs right in the browser. It works with the PC keyboard, but you must follow the on-screen ZX80 keyboard template to A, get a feel for what it was like in, in its heyday, and B, in order for your keyboard to map properly, the, the, the letters, the numbers, they all have additional functions. So you'll have to follow through with that by memorizing sort of that keyboard or having that in view. Um, the characters are not remapped with your regular keyboard. So if you wanted to get a quote, you didn't hit shift two, you hit the key that had the quote symbol on it, which I believe was Y, if I remember it. Um, but yeah, follow the keyboard template. Also on that web page, they provide a link to an online version of the ZX80 basic manual. So if you have the ability to do so, you can split your window. You can have the manual on one side and this emulator running on the other. And uh, you can relive those days when you had a computer like this hooked up to your TV and you're learning basic from the included manual. And also added one other feature. You press the on-screen load game button, and it will load a simple block graphic Space Invaders game right into that emulator's memory, as if it was completely typed in instantly. Oh, wow. So you can load it in there, and then you type run. Or, no, I'm sorry. <laughs> you hit R for run, and then you hit enter, and it runs it, and you play a blocky Space Invaders game using, I think, the 6 and 8 key for left and right, and the 0 for fire. Or enter for fire. Yeah, it's um, neat. I'm looking at it. And it runs, I, I would venture to guess it runs full screen. Uh, I mean, a full, a full speed. Because it, I mean, really, you're emulating three megahertz. I'm trying to find the inner key. I mean, what the is it? Is the inner key. What is? Uh, the inner key is, it's, I think it's called. Your uh, own inner key or? Yeah, use your own inner key. Oh, it didn't load for me. Um, hmm. Except they don't call it enter on the keyboard. It's called new line. Okay. This is sort of like a membrane chiclet type keyboard that... Yeah. Oh, I see now. But it's a great little emulator. And as you can hear, uh, it's easy to, to get started on. You know, David's running it in the background right now. <laughs> uh, another one that's a little more complicated to get set up. It's not difficult, but it's highly recommended, uh, especially if you're running Windows, is one called 81. That's spelled out, uh, 81. It, it runs in Windows. It, it downloads as a zip file that you extract into a folder of your choice, and it has other folders in it, and you just run the executable. It actually mimics an authentic TV screen with raster interface, so you'll get a look that looks like... The, the video output of these things when hooked up to the TV wasn't clean, and you kind of get used to that. That's the effect that you feel from these vintage computers is how they looked on your TV. Well, the ZX80, ZX81 and stuff, they didn't have a clean signal, so you would get some artifacting on the screen. And this does a pretty good job of mimicking that artifacting because you can notice some of it within the printable text area as opposed to the border area of the screen. And they do a really good job with it here. Uh, and you can even configure that that raster effect uh, <laughs> wow. just as authentic looking as possible. Um, 
Now this emulator uh, will work or will emulate the ZX80, the ZX81, various ZX Spectrum models, the Amstrad Spectrum clones. I guess they weren't clones, you know, when Amstrad owned it. The Timex uh, Sinclair 1000, the Timex Sinclair 1500, the, the Timex um, uh, 2048 uh, color computer, the Jupiter Ace. I, I don't know. I thought Jupiter Ace was something else, but I guess it might be uh, somewhat associated with the ZX series. And even a couple homebrew clone configurations that were made uh, in the past. All this in one executable just by changing um, the settings. It supports ZX80 and ZX81 tape files with these emulations. You can get you can get like software in in like uh, digitized tape files or um, you know single files that would emulate the the storage medium. It also comes with a handful of software in tape format ready to get started. It's in one of the folders. Wow. Has a pop-up keyboard template for whatever model that you're using. Uh, so you can see how the keys are mapped. It will also load raw wave files containing program data. If you ever listen to an old a vintage computer's cassette tape in a in a tape player, you you hear the the strange noise that's in there. Well, if you have that recorded as a wave file, this will load that wave file as if it was a real tape. Um, it also even emulates the ZX printer, which is a um, we were talking about that a little bit earlier in the show. The the Sinclair printer and you can even vary the print speed. You can almost make it move in the same motion and speed that it originally was uh, running instead of like instantaneous output. And when you have a RAM pack in these like ZX80 and ZX81 computers, because the RAM pack sat just kind of on the tabletop with the, with the computer, it was sub subject. It was subject to bumping. If you're not careful, if you try to move the, the uh, computer around while that RAM pack was installed, it may, um, it gets a wobble, they call it, or, you know, a zap. This even mimics that RAM pack wobble. And that it would, but it zap out what you're doing? It would, I believe it zaps out what you're doing, but it would also create the, uh, the weird uh, screen output with the diagonal lines that <laughs> was usually associated with that. I don't know if they put it in there for a reason. I didn't go too deep into that RAM pack wobble. I know you can initiate it on your own, but you can also turn on the feature, meaning <laughs> I'm guessing that if you turn it on, maybe it will randomly wobble on you. I oh. didn't look in the instructions, but why would you turn on and off a feature if it's not going to be used? So I'm guessing is if you leave it on, it may wobble on you and zap whatever you're doing. <laughs> so that uh, to me, that's almost realistic look and feel. And I was playing with it. Uh, for quite a while, and I, I really like it. I just wish I had some more software to use in it. But you can find that kind of stuff. It's it's not difficult. Um, or you can take the book from the JavaScript one and take eighty the eighty one program side by side, and you can do the same thing. So you can try out the ZX eighty, ZX eighty one, very popular ones. And do you have um? Do you have any of these? Did you say you've had a you've had a Spectrum before, right? I had access to my uncle's Spectrum. Um, I have a couple ZX81s. Oh, yeah? No, one ZX81, I have a couple T Timex Sinclair 1000s. And they work? They work. I have one that was given to me somewhat recently. I mean, I haven't had an occasion to fire it up and really try it out. And I, yeah, I, I need to do no, that. The ZX81 is the one where it, it can actually use an Atari 2600 power supply, which is 9-volt, 1-amp, with a, yeah. uh, with a was it court, no, 8-inch two conductor plug like an audio plug um that's all it was oh so you could also you could buy a generic um you can buy multiple a generic, power supply um yes as long as it puts liner. out one amp you should be fine if it puts out a little bit less you may have problems well i have two of those like uh what would you call that not generic but um universal and then you yes. can adjust the amperage as well as the voltage yeah well, okay there you go um yeah, as long as you have 9 volts, 1 amp, or you can have more amps. It's just that you're not going to push amps in that way. You just don't want to go over voltage. Right. Uh, the amps is sort of a reserve capacity. Um, makes it more efficient. But, yeah, 9 volt, 1 amp, plug these in. But usually if you find these things on Craigslist or, or eBay, you can get them fairly cheap. Uh, the ZX81 is the one I recommend if you want to work with the series 
um, because the ZX80 actually has lesser features, but the ZX81 behaves just like it, and it's a lot cheaper than finding a ZX80. Yeah, I was going to say the cheapest ones are the you know Timex Sinclair 1000s. You can get those really cheap, exactly all the time on on same, eBay. Same thing. And then the Timex Sinclair 1000 gives you an extra K of memory off you know off the line there. And I want to mention too, just real quick, while you're reading the last part there. I did a quick search on eBay, and uh, there's a few Jupiter Aces that sold somewhat recently, and they actually fetch pretty darn big price, like 300 bucks here, $400 here, 400 and something here. So I guess those are those are you know as rare as the ZX80s. The yeah, I don't Ace. know too much about the Jupiter Ace myself. When I tried it in the emulator, the 81 emulator, mm -hmm. I realized that you can type freeform. It, it doesn't have like the key key command unless you have to press other keys to get to it because I didn't have the, the, the keyboard uh, thing up and running. But as I was typing, I would type, you know, R-U-N, it would type R-U-N, not just pop up the word run. So I don't know where the Jupiter Ace fits in the whole sphere of this. If it's, if it works like the ZX80, mm -hmm. uh, 81, or if it's its own thing, but just runs off the Z80 microprocessor. All right, so let's move. We'll move into our eBay auctions now. Yeah, we can show people how to find these. So um, we both have an example of both. So the first one, let's see, is mine, and it's. Uh, let me get there. It's a. This is one that recently sold, and it's a vintage Sharp MZ80K, the original one, personal computer, but it was faulty. It sold out of the uh, the UK for fifty pounds, approximately seventy five ninety, because the pound is down. <laughs> And oh, yeah. uh, so it, the picture looks pretty good as far as <laughs> looking at it. It looks in pretty nice shape, doesn't they it? They taped together the plastic cover in front of the monitor. Oh, did they? Oh, I'm not looking at that. Let me look. Okay. It's like they sing it was oh, now I see it. Monitor. And there's that chiclet keyboard. Oh, yeah. Down. It's, it, it looks, it, it's like which came first, the sharp or the pet? So it does not power up, sold for a spare or repair. So, you know what? That could usually if something's just dead like that, if someone knows what they're doing with the power supply and all, they might be able to fix that. So I'd be more worried about the monitor. Mhm. Mm but there's an example of a of an original one and, you know, what it might look like and so on. And then my second choice was uh a what something currently for sale, which I think when you get to yours, you'll kind of I think this is really sort of out of the ballpark it says rare sinclair zx80 the original mini microcomputer complete ships worldwide and it's 12 percent off yeah. so now it's by now at 527 dollars and 99 cents yeah with shipping too 20 bucks to me anyway out of new york and it's from the seller um vintage computer museum who sells lots of stuff and usually premium items so i have no doubt it's maybe a really nice one but i just think you start looking at five hundred dollars. I think it's it's and the original sales invoice too. Oh, yeah, but still, I mean, it's just the computer power supply. It looks like a memory thing. The manual. That's a lot of money. It is, but if you look at it, you can see how neat it, it was. For you get a good idea of how thin that keyboard was, and that's just the membrane keyboard. I mean, it it completely functioned. Yeah, and power. It looks like it. Uh, Looks like it powered the same way as I thought it, that you have to plug something in. Looks like somebody did some aftermarket uh, modification to this. There's a big switch and a bunch of red wires sticking out of the uh, back. I wonder if they did that. I have for, to look at that. Uh, either channel conversion or something. Something with it. Looks like it's near the RF modulator. But I'm betting, yeah, the power did just plug in on this. I don't see any other pictures that would indicate. Otherwise, oh yeah, oh, yeah I see so that now. On the underside it says nine volt DCN, so this probably probably used the same power input as the uh, ZX eighty one. I was looking at the um, invoice, so it came from Sinclair Research out of is it Nashua, New Hampshire? Nashua, New Hampshire. Yep. Yep. And um, but they only paid ninety nine ninety five for it, so that means this is slightly later on when the price had dropped. Probably a closeout or something. So it was below. Uh, but I don't see a date on the invoice. Isn't that weird? Hey. Uh, there's no uh, date on the invoice? Yeah, it's got to be. No. Not that I can see. All. It's got their visa number. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder if that'll still work. <laughs> that's right. That's master charge. No, it's visa. Visa. And so it has, is it still in the same format? I think it's, it's yeah, it's shorter maybe than what it is now. It is and, shorter. Uh, it doesn't have the expiration date and all that stuff like nowadays. No, it's missing three characters by today's standards. 
But um, but there you go. That I think that's pretty pricey. So why don't you talk about yours? Yes. Um, first one I have is Vintage Sharp MZ80A. Uh, let me get to it here. Sorry for the delay, folks. This is sort of like the reverse. <laughs> so this is like the real pricey. Oh, this is from the same yeah. seller, too. Yes, this one, it, uh, compared to the other one, this one has a full-size keyboard, which looks so much like another Commodore keyboard. Mm -hmm. It sure amazing. does. Uh, but the, the form factor is the same. It's got the integrated monitor that sits at an angle. and I, that I, Not, not, not a, another intended joke, but it does look sharp. Um, uh, I, I like the style of this. It, it well, you know what? If you actually, if you like take that first picture and you take your hand and you cover, you know, the part where it starts going up where you have the cassette yeah. and you have the monitor and you cover that part up, it totally looks like you're looking at the first like 80% of a Commodore 128. I yeah. Mean, exactly. Or like one of the, like the B128 or whatever the, uh, the, those, uh, other series were. Yeah. It has a, let's see graphic button yeah there's no run stop key character turn but it, it's still it's still a nice looking computer um it almost looks kind of like a cash register in a way <laughs> from the back side it looks like a cash register oh yeah uh, yeah with a keyboard interface 599.99 right now six people are watching it the shipping's not all that bad for me it's coming from west falls new york uh, but the price that's out of my range if this were closer to 150 200 well it'd probably be sold by now um but if it was closer to that I might almost consider getting it myself. Um, I just want to recommend anybody, you know, and the person says, I'm unable to test it as it needs a UK power adapter. Or it has a UK power adapter. You can fix that. Well, you could buy uh, whatever the, the, you know, the device is, I guess, right? The converter. Well, it has a power supply inside. I can see the, uh, it's got a two prong. So it has a, yeah, has a UK voltage. So it's what, 220 volts coming in. You might have to do some modification. Uh, somebody who really wanted to get into it could probably, if it's if it's a linear power supply, they could probably change the transformer. Um, if it's if it's a, a switching power supply, it gets a little more complicated. They'd be better off trying to find a, a replacement that can fit in there. But you know, this seller vintage computer museum. If you click on what else they have the the offer, and you click down into you know vintage computing, vintage computers, where you're just looking at just what they're selling listed under vintage computers. They have eighty eight things. That's quite a bit. And they're all very premium priced. I, I guess he's well, getting something that's not too crazy, but he or she, or I don't know who it is, but well, more power to him. And the next one on my list is basically a plethora of uh, ZX80 based um, auctions. Here you'll find, uh, what were these? I forget, were these the completed ones? Yeah, these yeah. are the ones sold. So you can find better pricing, at, you know, as is untested pricing for a, a ZX80, about $63. Um, one that apparently may have worked for 130. So you can get these for better prices. Uh, yeah. if, you want, if you want accessories, I think you're gonna pay a premium for the accessories no matter what. Um, 16K RAM, 54, 65, and uh, original original Sinclair ZX80 computer with 16K, 269. It sold for just at the end of the year. It sold for 195. Oh, from the UK, so that was the converted price. But uh, just from like last week, that it says original power pack and starts up. Sell so for 200 bucks. Yeah, not not bad at all. Um, you can get the original operating manual for one or for nineteen ninety nine. So yeah, this stuff's still out there. Uh, if you're really into collecting something like this, you might find a good price. Um, I don't know. I'd, I'd love to have one, but I don't know if I want to invest in one yet. Yeah, I mean it's kind of neat. I sort of like the case better than the later ZX eighty one and the Timex Sinclair's. But for the price different, I mean if you just want to really mess around with one. The real one versus a you know emulation or whatever you just you don't have to pay anywhere near this much money for a hundred bucks you could probably find one that's just loaded down with all kinds of stuff you know absolutely yeah oh here's a the the ROM upgrade uh, it looks like a, a a chip that you can actually put in and a new keyboard overlay that you stick on oh yeah so the ROM upgrade forty five oh I see it what yeah. it sold for um. You know, stick on overlay. One time years ago, I had a, I think it was a, 
I think it was a ZX81, and it was totally put in a whole new case. So you could buy, it was like an aftermarket uh, new case with like a full stroke keyboard. And everything. That's right. And, and you could, I do remember seeing them in, in magazines at the time, or you can get a stick-on full stroke keyboard. It's, it was still a membrane keyboard underneath, but it had full stroke plastic yeah. on top of it that simulated, it, it obviously had a different feel. But yeah, there are the ones that had the full stroke keyboard that gave you the full keyboard experience yeah i mean of... you know it the marketplace didn't write it obviously wasn't as big as like the extended commodore market or especially the apple II, but it it did have a pretty big market of stuff it's own mag couple of different magazines and other stuff you could buy lots of stuff for it for these you know something i just realized um and and maybe our listeners caught on to it by now i had mentioned earlier this may have been the very first computer with membrane keyboard and that is technically incorrect oh right next, next yeah. week we'll talk about the one that came before this oh that's yeah. that's right we put it off <laughs> also my song is zx80 replica kit from bulgaria oh right and i saw a bunch of those and doing searches on ebay which it looks pretty neat it's kind of a lot of money for a replica it, well it it, but there, there's 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 people doing that, you know. I mean, it's not bad, but I don't. Replica kits. Oh yeah, like special Vince Briel's stuff, and yes. Oh yeah, I've I've had a number of them. I I own the ultimate replica kit. My uh, my Altair clone. Yeah. Seriously, it looks exactly like a real Altair from the outside. Just with the tiny board inside, with. Yeah, if you look inside, it's empty. <laughs> <laughs> You build you build a diorama of a computer museum inside the case, right? Yeah, I mean, but it's amazing just how I, I think it's not one hundred percent exactly this you know exact dimensions of the original one, but it's 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 darn close and it looks really great, you know, on the outside. Well, I guess we'll wrap it up. We're yeah, doing our so show kind of late tonight. I'm kind of tired. How about you? I'm getting there. It was yeah. a long day at work. I mean, it was nonstop. We have a new person, and I'm helping to train him. And you know that that's kind of rewarding and nice in a lot of ways, but it's tiring. Uh, yeah, I, I know what you mean. I've, I've been in that position before training some people. Eventually it's like, if you put your own work off to do, to help them out, then it becomes a problem for you later, but still it's good to help people learn stuff. It's just finding that balance. Sometimes it's just tough to do that. And you might appreciate this and maybe some of our listeners, but uh, so talk about some modern technology yeah, I'm kind of the I'm a PC and Mac tech, but I'm I'm the primary Mac person. And I'm trying to build the new uh, image for the, the you know the current operating system, which is Yosemite for Mac OS X. And um, you know, just like when new Windows comes out, you can't just roll it out right away. You got to make sure it doesn't break stuff. And so uh, I have the new image all done. And supposedly our we do run McAfee antivirus and all that on the Mac side too. And supposedly that worked, but it ended up it, it's not working. <laughs> so because of Yosemite, yeah. Well, it's just, it's because of the 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 what I'm trying to say here. The agent where we thought it was compatible, it's just not working. Because yeah, you, you install an agent, then the console, the EPO console, it's called, pushes it out. Um, but what I was going to get at is, I thought it was all done. So it is done, other than those components have to work before we can roll it out. But I was working on this one guy's machine, and I had it all done, and then it turns out. Okay, we we can't do this because this isn't going to work right. So I had to I had to erase it and start all over. And, you know, so like a couple hours of work, and I had to redo it with the previous Mavericks. And in this case, the guy um, is dual booting Windows on it, so you use something called Boot Camp. If you remember yes, that on the Mac. And so yeah. I had this all done, other than this this one thing here. And so I I had to just wipe the whole thing and start over. So anyway, yeah, I, <laughs> that can be kind of frustrating. Guy at work does images. We we lease computers at work, and every three years we renew the computers, and they have to do a new image. Yeah, and they have to make sure all the custom software is going to work on that new image, that new version of the operating system. Yeah, I understand how that works. It's it can be a pain. Anyway, so we're going to wrap it up, and uh, this was show ten. So next show will be ten, two digits. All right. Yeah, will be eleven, and we'll be covering the Altari. That's two in binary. 400 and 800. Three in binary. Three in binary. Today is two in binary. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it is late. I'm getting tired too. Right, because one would be in the ones column numbers. and then one would be in the twos column, right? So it'd be yep. three in binary, I guess. Yes. Okay. Hey, uh, as you said, it's late. <laughs> um, 
So you want to you'll want to tune in for that about the Atari 400-800. It will be released two weeks from tomorrow in our case. So anyway, February 13th on a Friday as usual. Our website is historyofpersonalcomputing.com. Plus follow us on both Twitter and Facebook. So if you haven't checked those out, follow us on Twitter, go to Facebook and like us. You can send your feedback to feedback at historyofpersonalcomputing.com because we really love to hear from you. Please tell someone about us, write a review on iTunes, or spread the word with Facebook, Google+, or Twitter. Perhaps you're in a uh, specialty discussion group. Tell them about us. And that's a wrap. Have you cleaned your old computer today? Now wipe it down, <laughs> fire it up, and play. Have fun with it. All right. See you next time, Jeff. See you, David. Bye-bye.